And what we've been learning about is the process of renewing the mind. And we saw in Romans chapter 12 that it is crucial, but the Bible says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We're not to allow the world, the pressure of this world, especially of this season, to pressure us in us because when that we allow ourselves to have that pressure on us, it makes us conform to this world. We begin to act like this world, talk like this world, react like this world does. And there's so much going on in this world to react to in this day and age with all the terrorists and all the threats and all that thing. And we're not supposed to react the way the world reacts because we have a kingdom of God inside of us. We don't have to be afraid because this is not, first of all, this is not the life. This is an assignment. This is not our life. And we have the kingdom of God inside of us. We have the promises of God. We've got the spirit of God inside of us. We have uh, God's provision for us, God's promises. And so we have much to be hopeful for. Besides, that's why we're here. We're here to be a light in the darkness. And as it gets darker and darker out in that world, the light of Christ will shine brighter and brighter. And I believe, I know that's God's will for us here, especially at Faith Christian Center. So that's what this is all about. And we've learned some things about how the mind works and we've understand that the mind works through a process of thoughts. That the basic unit that your mind works in is thoughts. And we found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that those thoughts, if they dwell around there long enough, produce imaginations. In fact, we've learned that your mind is designed by God to try to form meaning out of everything. And, and that's you know, why men sometimes get frustrated with wives because they're trying to figure out what does she mean by the things she says? And wives look at their man and say, I don't understand him. He's logical. That doesn't make sense to me because I don't think in those terms. And I'm shared with you, I'm sure, that how a number of years ago, after crying out to God to, to, to teach my wife to think straight the way I thought, God finally got through to this thick, stubborn German head and says, she doesn't, she'll, she doesn't think like you do. She will never think like you do because I didn't make her to think like you do. And that was a shock to me because I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to think the way I thought because I thought God thinks the way I think. And to discover that there was another method of thinking that He actually designed and put in her, and then I realized God wouldn't do that to torment me. He would do it because there was something of value to me in the way she thought that was different than the way I thought. And that opened a whole new world to me, which I still don't understand, but I opened the world, I appreciate it and value it. My point is this, before I get really off in trouble, is that our mind tries to find meaning in everything. And that's why when a disaster happens, we're all trying to figure out why did this happen, how did this happen, we're trying to figure out, we're trying to figure out how, what it meaning how it relates to me. Am I threatened by this? Is this going to affect me? And, and those kinds of things. So when thoughts get in our mind, our mind's instinct is to piece them together and draw out a form some kind of picture that will give us meaning. And the problem is if we don't understand the patterns of thought that God's Word teaches us, we will form them in incorrect patterns and then they will begin to produce images in our mind. And we react to those images just the way you do a dream. If you have a vivid dream, that can be so real to you that you can wake up and you're sweating and your heart's pounding and yet nothing was real about it at all. It only existed in your mind. But those images that are in your mind affect you and if they've been there long enough, they form a stronghold. 
So the process of renewing our mind is a process of changing those strongholds that the Bible says exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, against what God is like, God's love for you, against what God's done for you, and all the things we listed in the very beginning that the Word of God says when you come to Christ, He literally puts in you in the kingdom of God, and then we looked at how much of that are we actually enjoying at, and the process of getting it from the inside to the outside, the Bible teaches, is through the renewing of our mind. And so then we learn that in order to renew our mind, what we've got to do is change our thoughts. We've got to begin to intentionally put every thought that comes into your mind has a purpose. And the purpose is it's either come from Satan, it's either come from the Holy Spirit, it's come from somebody else, or it's come from you. But every thought, your mind tries to form into some kind of image. And we discovered that we're responsible for monitoring those thoughts that come in to decide whether we're going to accept those thoughts or not accept those thoughts. And the last time we talked about this two weeks ago, I gave you some principles by which to discern where those thoughts came from and come from. And we looked at the very simple example of a, of a UPS man arriving at your door and ringing the doorbell. And when you open that door, what we tend to do is he'll hand us the package, we'll bring it in, we'll sign for it, and then we'll try to find to figure out what it is. By that time, you own it. And the same is true with your thoughts. The time to decide whether that you're going to accept that package is before you sign for it is when you find, out, you find out where it came from because when you know where it comes from, you have a good idea what's inside. And when you know what's inside, you know whether you want that in your house or not. And I told you the story about one of my brothers that received a package with some bullfrogs in them and let them loose in the house. And once you let those bullfrogs loose, they're very hard to get back in that package because they don't want to go back there. And the same is true of some thoughts we let loose in our mind. Once they're loose in there, they're very hard to rein in and get under control again. So the time to get control of it is before you even let it in. So last time we learned some very simple principles about how to discern where that thought's come from, how to read the return address on the package to decide whether I want that thought to come in into my mind. And I'm not going to go back over them, but basically you want to look at whether is it consistent with the Word of God. You want to look at the fruit of it. Is it drawing me closer to God or putting me away from Him? Is it producing condemnation in me or is it is encouraging me because even when God corrects us it will encourage us then we learn there's a there's a when Satan's speaking to us there's a different voice that he uses it's hard it's driving when the spirit of God speaks to us it's usually soft and it's gentle because God very rarely pushes you into anything he will try to woo you and draw you into something and then the last thing we looked at is where it's located because thoughts from, from when God speaks to you, He doesn't speak to your mind. He speaks to your spirit. And your spirit's kind of located in the center of you. But your mind is up, is up here. It's a thought process. So we're not going to go back over that. What we're going to get into tonight finally is we're going to begin to look at the tools. The Bible teaches us tools that we can use in order to do, in order to renew our mind. All we've learned so far are principles, and they're very important, but these tools are the means by which you take the things we've been learning and implement them into your mind. And the purpose of all of these tools is one simple purpose. It's for you and me to intentionally change the images in our mind by intentionally putting thoughts that will form new images. And if you, because you can't get rid of the old strongholds by tearing them down, there are only two ways you get rid of them. One is you stop feeding them and they'll begin to fade away. And the other is you form new strongholds that take their place. And the way you form a stronghold is to create a new image. And the way you create a new image is to build that image up of new new thoughts. So what we're going to learn to do is to intentionally 
purposefully choose the thoughts that we're going to put in our mind that are going to form images. And this is why we spent all this time to talk about what those images are, how to identify thoughts, how to identify where thoughts are coming from. So we're going to look tonight at, at several, we may, we may only get through one of them. I have to tell you up front, if you've been in church for very long at all, you're not going to hear a tool you've never heard about before. I don't have some magic rabbit to pull out of a hat. I don't have some secret tool that you've never heard about before that I just happened to have discovered in my journey with the Lord. These are things you've all heard about. We have books in the bookstore on them. The thing is we've never done them. We've understood that they're good principles, but we've never understood why we need to do them and how to apply them. And we've just heard we need to do these things, but we're going to take some time to go through them, especially the first two, because they're the most important ones, and understand what they are, how they work, and then I'm going to give you a, a simple exercise that will help you to do these. The first one is called meditation. And understand if you've read anything of any kind of philosophy or any kind, you know, meditation is something that, that uh, uh, Eastern religions use and uh, uh, other religions use, but what they've done is they've imitated something, they've counterfeited something that is godly. And so the key is what you're meditating on. And, and I want to talk to you a little bit about what it is, and I want to talk to you about what it's not. Because we, without some understanding of it, it's easy to think you're meditating when you're not meditating, when you're doing something else. So what is it? The word literally means in the Hebrew, to mutter. Talk to yourself. Ever talk to yourself? Every people look at you and say, what are you saying about? Talk to yourself. It means to mull it over, run it around in your mind. It means to think about something over and over and over again. Let me tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean to quote something over and over again. That's called quoting something over and over again. It does not mean reading a scripture over and over again, because I can read a scripture over and over again, and my mind's 4,000 miles away. In fact, I've done this with so many scriptures that if I start speaking certain scriptures, I can quote them and I can, my, because I know them by heart, because I've never sat down to memorize scriptures. I've just got some scriptures committed to memory because I've gone over them over and over and over and over and over again, not for the purpose of memorizing them, for the purpose of meditating on them. So what meditation is, is to, mo is to let something dwell in your mind and to think about it over and over again. Because while you're thinking about it over and over again, what are you doing? You're planting new thoughts in your mind. Remember, that's what all this is about. All this is about purposefully and intentionally choosing thoughts that you want to be part of a brand new image that's going to be in your mind. That image may be of God, what God's truly like, what God is really like. Whether God is some mean authority sitting on a throne in heaven with a big stick waiting for you to get out of line, or whether He's loving and generous. There's a great teaching, Tony Cook, we've had him before, we'll have him again this coming year, did a number of years ago <coughs> called, Is God a Taskmaster or is He a Shepherd? And he uses the difference of the example of a taskmaster that the Israelites were subject to while they were in Egypt, and then the shepherd that God was to them through Moses in the wilderness. 
And a taskmaster drives you. He demands things of you where the shepherd feeds you, loves you. Whatever the shepherd does for you, it's because he loves you and wants you, your best for you. But that image of God, he's one or the other in your mind or he's some mixture of the other. That affects how you respond to his commandments. That affects how you respond to his love. That respects to how you respond to his promises. That respects to how you respond to anything of God, how you see him, what he's like. So what we need to learn to do is find out from the book He gave us the purpose of this book. One of the purposes of this book is God telling us what He's like. Not what the church you came from told you what He's like. Not what your parents told you what He's like. Not what a book somebody wrote their own experiences of God, what He's like. But what God wants you to know about Him from what He's like. In fact, with all the years I've walked with the Lord, one of the things I focused on this year in my prayer time is, God, I want to know from you what you're like. I want to know from you, through this word, what you're like. And I appreciate what all the men that I've taught, that taught me, I appreciate all that they put into me, but I want to know, I want to have a blank slate and start, what are you like? I want to see this from you, because you, everybody has their own ideas that they mix in with what they know. And so, it's to purpose, then find thoughts about, what does the Bible say, how God sees you? Not how you see you, how does God see you? And, and begin to, because we need to change that image. Because what you think of, what you think God's like, and what you think He thinks of you, will affect how you approach Him. Will affect how willing you are to believe His promises. It affects our relationship with Him. And so we need to examine those images and then change, in many cases, change those images by going and purposefully, this is the key word, purposefully, on purpose. Because you decide to, as an act of your will, put thoughts in that are going to intentionally change the images that are in your mind of God or of you or whatever it is. Maybe it's your spouse. Um, but the idea is, is you're going to choose what thoughts you're going to let in and you're going to choose what thoughts you are going to put in and it's an act of your will to do that, which is why you cannot do this casually. This is something you work on. It's effort and it's work, but it's worth the effort and it's worth the work because those old images are controlling you. They're limiting what God wants to do through you. They're limiting the potential that God has put in you through the Holy Spirit. Because when you read the Scriptures, what God says about you are some amazing things. Jesus says in John chapter 14, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works. And the question, are we doing the works that He did? Forget the greater works, are we doing those works? Why not? Because either we don't believe God will do them through us, or we don't believe we're worthy of it, or there's something wrong with us. Somewhere there's a disconnect, and that disconnect is caused by a faulty image that we have in our mind, a stronghold that's controlling how we relate to God and what we're allowing God to do. We're learning on Sunday about the unlimited love that God has for people and how He wants to exercise that love through us. But we limit what God can do, how much God can love people through us. And part of that comes from these strongholds that are in our minds. So this is very important. This is not just, are we going to live a happy life? That's part of it. But is God's will going to be able to be done in our lives and through our lives? There's much at stake at this. So it's worthwhile effort. So, 
It means to mull it around. It means to dwell on something. It means for your mind to think over and over about it. And I'm going to give you some steps in just a minute. And the way you know you're meditating is when you get lost in thought. Ever, ever kind of get lost? Maybe driving along? And the next thing you know is, how did I get here? Well, I know how you got there. You were driving. I don't know whether you're paying attention or not. But your mind was somewhere else. Your mind was going around on something. It was thinking about something. It was paying attention to something. So it's to mull something around in your mind. It's to roll it around in your mind, to think about it over and over and over again. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. I'll guarantee you that there are many of you here in this room tonight that are experts at this. You've been meditating for years and didn't know it. It's called worry. Worry is nothing more than meditating, but instead of meditating on the truth, we're meditating on the lies of the devil. So the good news is if you can worry, you can meditate. In fact, that's how I discovered what I'm going to teach you, because when it dawned on me that by worrying I was meditating, I realized, well, then I already know how to do this. I just need to go and realize, what do I do when I worry, and then just put, in, put the right information in and worry about it. So all you've got to learn to do is to take truth from God's Word and worry about it. Worry that God loves you. Worry that, God's, that God, God has good things for you. Worry that you can trust God's promises. Just go ahead and worry about that. Just, just let your mind run about it. Well, the problem is your mind won't. Because our mind, until our mind is renewed, it has a tendency, a strong tendency, to gravitate towards the negative. That's why newspapers are actually bad newspapers. And I'm not talking about the, how well they report the news. I'm talking about what news they report. They very rarely report good news. Why? Because good news doesn't sell papers. Why? Because people's minds are gravitated and fascinated with things that are wrong. This is why the, the, in, the, in, the, in the media, horror movies and scary movies make all kinds of money. Why? Because people want to go and be scared. They want to see something horrible happening. Why? Because of our fallen nature and our flesh. It just feeds on things that are bad. Maybe because it makes us feel better about ourselves if somebody else is getting their head chopped off or something happening to them is, is bad or somebody else is in a worse position than we are. I don't know quite what the thinking is behind it, but that's the tendency we have is to gravitate towards something that's evil. But you know what? As you learn to renew your mind, that, 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 that momentum changes over to the positive. That natural gravitation changes over to the positive. You've heard me use this example before, that, that when you, if you buy a, a, a brand new car in, in New England and you drive it out of that showroom, that car, assuming they made it according to their specifications, you get out on 95 in a middle lane and you can take your hands off that wheel and that car, unless it's windy, is going to track right down the middle because the wheels are perfectly in alignment. But you drive it in New England for a whole winter and you come through some of those February and March seasons when you got potholes all over the place, and maybe when you pulled to the curb you didn't quite 
you maybe missed it and you hit the curb or you backed into something and now by the time we come into April or May those wheels are not exactly in alignment they've gotten out of so what happens you go down the road that car now has a tendency to go to one side or the other so you have to be constantly adjusting it back and that's why power steering is such a blessing because you don't have to fight it but I remember before power steering when you had to work to turn those corners and you had to hold it was work to, if you had a car its wheels were out of alignment it was an effort if you were going a long distance to keep that car straight and so I'm very thankful for power steering but that's what our flesh is like and that's what our mind is like until it's truly renewed to this Word of God because its tendency is to go in the, in, into the negative. Its tendency to, is to latch on to things that are, that are bad. So you hear some bad news in your ear and go, Ooh, what was that? What did you say about her? What was it? So he said, did what, something wrong? And our ears go to that, but something right was, oh, that's nice, but it doesn't seem to get in as well. There's some things I'm renewing my mind. I have got to fight just to get it in there. Even though intellectually I know it's the truth, but there's a barrier there that's been built over the years that you have to pound away at and pound away at it and pound away at it. And that's what meditation does. It pounds away at those strongholds. So if you can worry, if you can worry, you can meditate. And as you do that, the process is happening as you're gradually, as you're putting those thoughts in, you're beginning to, those, your mind will begin to piece those together and slowly but surely a new image will begin to emerge. And sometimes you'll get glimpses of it and then it'll fade away because it's just overrun by that old image again. But So you've got to keep going back at it and back at it and back at it and it will come back again and come back again until eventually it begins to last longer, the good image, and then it begins to take over. But I've got to tell you, there's a four-letter word, a nasty word, a terrible word, so you may want to put your fingers in your ears, that it takes for this to happen. It's called work. I'd love to say at the you know, end of this series, we're going to line up here, and I'm going to go lay hands on you, and the anointing that God gave me to renew people's minds is just going to flow into your mind and then when you go back to these seats your mind will just think wonderful thoughts it will just see how good God is and how much God loves you I, I could make fortunes if we could do that it don't work that way or I would have done it to myself it is work this is why I told you in the very beginning this will only happen if you make the commitment to do it and I share with you, you'll fail at it at times, you'll forget to do it at times, but the key is to make a lifelong commitment, no matter how many times I forget, no matter how many times I slip, no matter how many times I get discouraged, I am going to do this until it works. And if you have that determination, you will make it. But that's what it takes. That's what it takes. Okay. So if you can worry, you can meditate. And we're going to, I'm going to teach you how to take all the experience that the devil has trained you in to worry, and we're going to turn it on him because you can take the, the value of all that experience and begin to use it to, to do it on... Because the only difference is you just put the right thoughts in and you worry about those thoughts. Okay, now, again, it takes a conscious effort. Many times I think what people do is they'll take a, their, a verse that it's important to them, like, for God so loved the world, or, or, or uh, uh, some verse that means something to you, and you'll read it over and 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 over again, and think that's meditating. No, that's just reading it over and over and over and over, because after a while it won't be getting in your mind. 
because again, you'll just be saying it over and over and over again, and your mind's thinking, thinking about something else. It's what you're thinking about that's important. So in order to do this, you've got to be aware of the process that's going on. It takes a conscious effort. Okay. So, I'm going to go through some things here. I'm going to give you an exercise, kind of a checklist. This is not, this is just a, a, a suggestion of some things that you can consciously do with a scripture. So we're going to take a, take a scripture and begin to do these things, because what we're going to use, the thoughts that we're going to put in here are, are scriptures for several reasons. First of all, we know they're the truth. Secondly, they're anointed by God to do this. I shared with you a while ago that, that the reason this process, would, however old you are, that's how many years it took to get you where you are. With me, it's 70 years to get where I am. I'm so thankful it's not going to take 70 years to change my thinking because the Word of God is anointed to do this. Secondly, this is truth, and truth always overcomes lies. John chapter 1 says, Jesus came into the world, the light came into the world, and the light overcome the dark. The darkness did not overcome the light. Light never always overcomes darkness. That's why we have a light switch in here, not a darkness switch. So when I get up at night and go out into our, living, into our kitchen to get a drink of water or something, I don't have to turn off the darkness switch and turn on the light switch. If I just turn on the light switch, the darkness goes away because the light is more powerful than the darkness. In fact, the darkness is the absence of light. The darkness has no power at all. It has no energy at all. All the power and energy is in the light. The darkness, that's, boy, that would be a whole message there. The darkness is just the absence of light. So as you begin to bring truth into your thinking, it will automatically overcome the light. But you've got to keep putting it in because that darkness has been there so long that, that your mind doesn't always accept the light just because you're letting it shine in. Okay. So these are, these are just exercises you can go through. As you take a scripture, these are just some questions that you can ask yourself. So let's see if I can get this up here. Here we go. Okay, aspects, or these are, these are exercises to do in the process of meditation. So we're going to take a scripture. The first question to ask yourself is to make sure that you know exactly what it says. So, of course, I, well, so many times we read scriptures quickly, and we don't know exactly what it says. For instance, if, if, you, if you read a, a scripture too quickly and the word not is in there, you'll get it all backwards. There's a verse in Romans chapter 4 that says, in some translations, Abraham contemplated his own body being as good as dead. You'll find other translations say he contemplated not his own body as good as dead. And I want to get into why the difference is. It's, it's two, basic, uh, two basic texts that they were taken from have that difference. Well, that can make a big difference, whether he contemplated his body or didn't contemplate his body. In the case of that scripture, it doesn't matter because Paul's point is it didn't matter what his body told him because the Word of God overcame that. 
But what you're going to do is you're going to go through a scripture and you're going to ask yourself, now, now I want to make sure I know exactly, exactly what it says to make sure I'm reading it correctly. Because it's very easy to read over something quickly. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I'm going to ask myself, am I, do I understand exactly what that says? Now that one's we're so familiar with that I'm sure most of you do. But guess what? While you're asking yourself that question about that scripture, guess what you're doing? You're meditating on it. Because if you just sit down, I'm going to meditate on this. Okay, I'm meditating on it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I'm meditating on the scripture. That he, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only... All right, so God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. So God, I wonder what we're going to have for supper. Oh yeah, for God so loved the world that He gave His... See, your mind has to have a, have a, has a project. It has to have a task. So I'm going to give you some tasks to apply. And you can just do one of them. This is not like you've got to go through all these. This is something when you're taking that scripture, if you're beginning to ask yourself this question, you're automatically meditating. So the first thing is, do I know exactly what this is? What is this, what is this scripture really saying? And what is it saying to me? Okay, next one. I went backwards. You don't want to do that. All right, now that you've made sure you know exactly what it says, Think about whether it makes sense. Well, wait a minute. You just said, what does it say? Well, does it make sense to you? Do you really understand what that's saying? Ask yourself when you're reading this, what's this really saying to me? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Do I understand what that's saying? Because I've got to tell you, there's some scriptures that I have to work at, to under, especially some of Paul's writings. But some of the deepest understandings I've gotten and that I've been able to teach from our scriptures, when I read them, I realized, wait a minute, I don't know what that's saying. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the only I don't, I, don't, I don't know what that's saying. Because if you think you understand every scripture that you're reading, I can tell you, you're not getting it. Because Peter said about Paul, you know, Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. So there's some scriptures that you need to, you may think you really understand it until you start thinking about it. So I don't care how simple the scripture is, Jesus wept. Shortest scripture in the Bible. Do I understand that? Well, okay, what does weep mean? Is that weeping? Or is it... But guess what? While you're thinking about whether it makes sense, guess what you're doing? You're meditating on it. So even if you're not getting the answers right, you're still meditating on that scripture. Because while you're meditating on that scripture, you're not thinking about something you shouldn't be thinking about. Remember one of the keys I taught you is you cannot think two things at the same time. So while you're thinking about that scripture, you're not thinking about something you shouldn't be thinking about. So think about, does it make sense? I mean, do I really understand? I'm not asking, this is not saying, you know, do I have some deep revelation out of it? Does it make sense to me? Because there's some things Paul wrote that I've got to work at. Yeah. And there's still some I've got to work at. All right. 
Let's look at the next one. See if I can do this the right way. No, I went backwards. <laughs> okay. Make sure you know what exactly what it says. Think about whether it makes sense. All right, we're going to get a little more meaningful here. Look at it from different points of view, and I don't mean upside down and backwards and forwards. I don't mean turn your Bible upside, unless sometimes you've got to do that. Uh, several ways you can do this. One is to read it in different translations. One of the assignments I used to give in School of Ministry is when I would give an assignment to read, I would require them to read it in at least two translations, one of which was not a translation they were used to using. Because when you read it in a different translation, you have to think about it. There, there, there's still some. I, I used the New American Standard for so many years that I can be up here in the middle of a sermon and I can turn to Romans chapter 8 and I could go to read it from the New King James and what's going to come out is NASB. Because for 20 plus years, that's what I used. And I went through, I, I, I went through that because that was one of the key things I needed to renew my mind to. I went through that so many mornings over and over again that I could literally quote the entire 8th chapter of Romans in New American Standard because that's what I was using back then. And that's ingrained in me so much, that's what's going to come out, so I just let it come out because that's what's in me to come out. But the point is this. One of the ways to look at it from different points of view is to read it in a different translation. But there's another way that you can use with the translation you're already using. Go through that verse one word at a time. And each time you go through it, emphasize a different word. Good example. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Let's just take that part. For. You can even get something out of for. But we'll most, for God. All right. Who is it that so loved the world? Who is this God that so loved the world? In fact, if you want to know where I get some of my messages from, it's by doing this. I'll just take a word, and I'll begin to meditate on that word, and think about what are the implications of that word. What does that word mean? What does it mean that God so loved the world? It's one thing if I love the world, or you love the world. It's one thing if, if, if Bill Gates loved the world, or God, a holy God, all-knowing knows everything everybody's ever done, said, thought throughout the entire creation. That's what the world is, because he's not talking about the dirt. He's talking about people. God who knows everything everybody's ever thought. He knows the worst things that are going on right now that have ever gone on. This God and loved. What's the next word? What's the next word? So, I did an entire Christmas message on the word so. Because the word so in that verse changes the whole verse. It changes that verse from making a statement, God loved the world. The word so is a qualitative word. That whole verse is about how much God loves. That little two-letter word so changes that whole verse from just a statement of what God did to a measurement about God. It tells us something about God and His heart and His capacity. Just that word, so. So we've only gone through two words. And what we've been doing. 
we're meditating together. So God so loved. So you're getting the idea? And again, you may go start to do this and it may feel awkward at first. And you may stumble and you may go through, I can't think of what Pastor John was talking about. I can't do what he was doing. It doesn't matter. Because even if you're trying, guess what you're doing? You're meditating. You're not, the purpose of this isn't to come up with a new revelation. The purpose of this isn't to come up with a sermon that you can give on Sunday morning. The purpose of this is to put new thoughts in. And as long as you're thinking about that verse, you're meditating on it. So I'm just giving you things that you can think about the verse about. You can come up with your own. So look at it from different points of view. Look at it from different points of view. Okay. See if I do it right. Well, it's a, see, this is just so we can go through it again. That's what it is. Make sure you know exactly what it says. All right. Think about it, whether it makes sense or not. Look at it from a different point of view. Visualize it. Oh, now we're getting to the level where we're beginning to form images. To visualize something means you begin to picture it in your mind. I've shared this with you before. I saw a story a long time ago. Not a story. I saw a program on, on the golf channel. It just happened to be flipping through. And, and I, I, I don't get to play golf very often, but my father taught me to play golf, and I enjoy it. So I just was fascinated by what this pro was teaching. And he taught this principle. He, he, he said a pro golfer, if he, ever, if he hits a bad shot, and they do, it's always reassuring that they hit him too. But it's what they do with it. He said they will not allow themselves to hit that golf ball again until they've re-pictured that old, that bad shot in their mind as a good shot. They will not address that ball to strike it again until they've gone back and in their mind they've re-hit that ball to where they wanted to. And if you've ever watched golf, you'll see them stand there and they'll stand behind it and they're picturing where in their mind, and this is not mind over matter, this is not, it's forming an image in your mind. So when you're reading a scripture to visualize in your mind what this, would, what this looks like. What does it look like to God? Use your imagination because when you worry, that's what you're doing. When you worry, you're taking something that happened now and your imagination is blowing it up into something much bigger. So you find out that, you know, you've heard a rumor that your company may be cutting back or, or that your company's merging with another company. And you remember, that's a, that's a thought, remember? And then you remember from the recesses of your mind, you've heard stories of other companies that merge. That means people lose their jobs. Boom, a second thought. And now what does your mind do? Your mind begins to create meaning out of that by saying the third thought is, uh-oh, I'll probably you lose my job. Oh, no, third thought is people here will lose their job Forethought is I may be one of them. And now you begin to visualize what that's going to mean. To the point that you can see yourself out of a job, what's that all going to mean? So what we're going to learn to do is how to take that principle and do it with the Scriptures. Visualize what God's love must be like. What does it must feel like to be loved that much? Paul, in Romans chapter 8, says, I am persuaded. And he goes on, that neither life, life nor death, <clears throat> nor angels or principalities or powers, nor, height, nor heights nor depth, nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate me from the love of God that's been... What does that mean? To visualize Paul writing, I'm persuaded. 
How did Paul get persuaded? To be persuaded about something means you've gone through experiences and you're convinced of something. Well, how is Paul persuaded? Well, I know something about Paul. He was arrested and beaten. One time he was left for dead. And yet somehow in all that, he's still persuaded God loves him. So I begin to visualize what it's like for Paul to be so persuaded that, the love of, that God loves him that it doesn't affect him. Even when they beat him and leave him for dead, he gets right back up and goes back into that same village again. That's beginning to visualize, letting your imagination develop. And that moves into this next one. Okay, which way do you go, John? I'm going to try that. I just hit it. Project it. It's very similar to visualizing it, but when you project something, you're taking the little bit you know now, and you're using your imagination to tell you what the future is going to be. Fear is always based on the future. We're very rarely afraid of now. We're, what we're afraid of is what now means about the future. I'm going to die. You know, I'm going to be out of a job. Okay, what does that mean? Well, we won't be able to pay our bills. We'll lose our house. We lose our house. We'll be out on the street. We're out on the street. We're going to freeze. We're going to freeze. We're going to die. What is our family going to think? All that's taking tooth in, bits of information and projecting them out into this huge image. And where does that only exist? Between your left ear and your right ear. It only exists in your mind, just like a dream does. That's why we spend time looking at that idea that images only exist in your mind. Therefore, you only have to change what's in your mind to change the image. So projecting it, that's the most powerful part of this. To take this scripture and ask yourself, what if this were really true? What if it really were true? I'm not going to take you to scripture. It's not that they didn't give it back to them, so I'll just have to read this to you. It's in, it's in Hebrews chapter 13. It's a good one to, to meditate on. I'll probably have to put these on. Oh. Hebrews 13. Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you. This is God speaking. I will never leave you or forsake you. If you look that up in the Amplified and some other translations, you will find out that actually in the Greek, the word never, the negative, is three times. Now in English language, if you use two negatives, it's called a double negative, it turns it into a positive. But in the Greek, it just emphasizes it. But here it's three times. I will never, no never, no never. And actually in the Greek it says, abandon you or leave you utterly cast down. What if that were true? I mean, look, whatever you're going through right now, whether it's a physical issue, a financial issue, whether it's just getting through Christmas, whether, whatever it is in your life, whatever the pressures are, what would it mean? I mean, don't close your eyes now, but something, what, what would it mean? God never abandoned me. I don't mean he's sitting in heaven saying, I like him. I mean he's right here with me in whatever I'm going through. What if that were actually true? Would that change how I would go to work tomorrow? Would that would change how I would face the doctor and the decision I got to make? Would that change 
What would it change if, if I knew, I mean, I really were true, that God was literally there with me in that situation? And not just with me, but He was willing to share His wisdom with me and His protection with me. What if Psalm 91 were really true? Really true. That if I dwell in the secret place of the Almighty, under the shadow of the Almighty, nothing will hurt me. Nothing can hurt. What was that? And you begin to imagine like that, that'll begin to bring peace. That's visual, that's, that's projecting it. That's what you do when you worry, isn't it? You're figuring the future out from right now. The word fear, the acronym fear means false evidence appearing real. False evidence, F-E, appearing a real. But in our minds it becomes real and it starts controlling us. So these are all parts of what we do. I came up with these because this is what I do when I worry. Except I skip the first part. I don't find out exactly what I'm worrying about. I just go ahead and worry. <laughs> By the way, you know, worry f- feels good to our flesh. It's not feel good inside, but it feels good to our flesh because it, it just, it's, very, it's focused on us. We very rarely worry about somebody else. We may worry about what's going to happen to them, but it's what's going to mean to us or about us. So this is why when we learn to walk in love, love casts perfectly perfected, matured love, First John says, casts out fear. It drives it out because true love is based on concern for other people and not me. And so, but anyway, so I learned these things by just sitting down and realizing when I was worrying about something, what am I actually doing? And I found out those are the things that I was doing, so I'm going to turn around and use those and worry about the truth instead of worry about something that's a lie and that's negative. So I'm going to give you an example of this, of how I do this. And I'm going to quote, because I didn't have them put it up there. Uh, I'm going to take a scripture, and then we'll pick up next time uh, on... In, um, uh, we'll pick up next time uh, with a, a scripture I'm going to give you that's the basis of all this. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 in the New King James says, but, but you're talking about we, we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but God, uh, but God because of, the, of, of His love that He has for us, even when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. The Amplified says, but God, being rich in mercy, in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which He loved us, while we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. So that's what it literally says. So I'm going to through go through that verse. What does it actually says? But God so rich, is so rich in mercy that, that, that in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which He loved, me, loved us, he made, he made us alive together with Christ. Okay, I understand what that says. Does it make sense to me? I, it, the, the fullness of it doesn't hit me, but I do understand what it's saying. Look at it from different points of view. Okay? God... But God, but, just the word but, changes everything. Because the verses before says, I was dead in my sins and transgressions. To be dead means I can't make myself alive. The most helpless state to be in is dead. Because there's nobody in the morgue down there tonight that's going to come alive by their own effort. Even Jesus didn't come alive by his own effort. 
It took the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit to bring him alive. I was dead in my sins and transgressions. There was nothing I could do about it. But, the word but is a total change in direction. That means what was totally hopeless now has complete hope. Especially because the next word that follows, but God. It could mean but John, that wouldn't mean much. Because that's dependent on what John can do. But God, now what can God do? And why would He do it? But God, being rich in mercy. See, what we're doing is we're meditating on that verse right now. We're all thinking about that verse. Being rich. And what's the word rich mean? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to just some kid on the street, rich may mean $5 instead of $2. But if you're talking to Donald Trump, Bill Gates, if you're talking to Warren Buffett, you're talking to billionaires Rich is a different term, because rich means according to what they have, because the riches is the riches of what they have. So what does God have? What does God have? The cattle on a thousand hills are His. His streets are paved. His paving material is gold. It's the, most, it's the lowest gray material in heaven. They walk on it. God is rich, but what's He rich in? What's it talking about He's rich in? Not the gold, not the silver. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in it. God is rich in mercy. That's what He wants us to know about Himself. He doesn't want to show us all His pearls and gold. He doesn't want to show us His power. What He wants to show us is He's rich in mercy. God's telling us something about Himself. In order to satisfy, you know what the word satisfy means? It means there's a need, there's a hunger, there's a drive that has to be met. Ever, ever in, the, in the summertime get a mosquito bite or an itch some, somewhere, oh, somewhere up here, I, I just, oh, my God. oh, I couldn't rest until I satisfied that need. Ever have a thirst? You just, I guess, I gotta, or I get another, I gotta have something to eat. I gotta have something. It's a drive, an inner motivating drive that will not stop you until it is satisfied. God had an itch. God, that word, verses, God had an inner need, an inner need that compelled Him, that compelled God, that compelled the God who is rich in mercy in order to satisfy what did it had to what was needed to be satisfied his rich and intense love Romans chapter 8 says God is for us it says that I think in Psalm 112 too God is for us well there's some people that are for the patriots there's some people that are for a particular political candidate and there's some people that are for their wife. It better not be the same. <laughs> you better be more for your wife than the patriots or a political candidate, all right? So the word for can mean all kinds of things, but to satisfy his intense, and what's he intense towards? His love towards you. And he had to satisfy that intense love towards us. That's why he made us from dead to life and made us like Christ. We just meditated. 
on Romans chapter, or, yeah, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and the Amplified. And we could go on and on and on and on and on. And say, well, I don't have an imagination like that. Well, I had to develop it. And you remember, you got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You got the author of that book inside of you. So you got questions? Ask him. He's the author. You got a great opportunity. He's living inside of you. What does that mean? That's how I get the answers. Well, I don't know what that means. Lord, show me what that means. And then I'll meditate on it and meditate on it and meditate on it. In fact, I'm going to say this to you as we close. And I learned this last year reading a biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and a tremendous man of God went through the terrible strugglings with the, with the rise of Hitler and even eventually died as a martyr. Uh, and uh, amazing man. I learned something reading his biography. He said one of the things he found out is instead of taking long scriptures in the morning and just reading them, he said, I would read fine until I had a verse that went off in me and then I would just spend time meditating on that one verse. Because that's a lot. See, when you meditate on it, what you're allowing is the Spirit of God to bring it down deeper. You may know, you, if you've been around here long enough, you know a lot of scriptures in your head. But what changes is when they drop that crucial 18 inches from here down into your spirit down into your heart. To do that, they've got to get through those old images in your head. And as you meditate on it, you're pushing it down from the outside and your spirit's pulling it down from the inside until it begins to break through. And you'll know when it breaks through because it's the light will go on. Suddenly you'll see things in a very different light because of that meditation. So the most important tool that you can have, that you can use, is to meditate. And don't meditate. Just find a scripture that's what you want to get, need to get in you. Because remember, what you're doing is you're depositing thoughts, purposely, intentionally putting thoughts in that mind that you want to be part of a new image that's going to form a new stronghold. Now I'm going to give you an exercise to do that will help you to do this. Because before you can meditate throughout your day, you need to be able to be aware of your thoughts. So here's a simple exercise. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to because next week uh, is Christmas Eve, we don't have a Wednesday night service. I'm going to give you two assignments in one. So you, and if you do it, it works. If you don't, it doesn't. The, for the first week, I want you to take a verse. Maybe it's Romans, maybe it's uh, Ephesians 2.4, maybe it's John 3.16. It could be one you know well. And I want you to write it on a 3 by 5 card. And then... I want you to put it somewhere where it's easily accessible to you during the day. If you're a man and you have a pocket, you may just put it in your pocket. If you're a woman and you carry your purse around, you may just put it in your purse. And this is, this is going to sound so simple to you. It's going to, oh, that's crazy. But it, there's a reason why I did it. It's worked because I've done this for years. For the first week, and I know it's a busy week, whenever you think of that card, I want you to reach in and touch it. Don't pull it out. Don't read it. Just reach in and touch it whether it's in your purse or it's in your, it's in your pocket. That's for the first week. What that does is train you to be aware of it. Then the second week, because we won't meet next Wednesday night, the second week, I want you to, when you think of it, I want you to pull it out. And I want you to think about that verse. And I, you may know it by heart by then, you may know it by heart before that, but I want you to use the card. Because when you look at it, and, now don't do this driving, but do it when you're, whenever you have a free moment where you don't have to be looking at something or paying attention to something. Maybe it's with the TV on. Pull it out. Read it. 
Don't just read it. Begin to go through it and do some of these exercises. But for the first week, you're just going to pull it out and then put it back because that makes you aware of it. Then the second week, and then when we come back after that, I'll give you another exercise to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the practicality of your word and your principles. And I pray for each of us, Father, as we go about this process and this discipline, that the Holy Spirit inside of us would help us, would strengthen us, would remind us of the things we've heard, would bring them back to our remembrance, Father, and most of all, would empower us as we go on this journey to learn how to meditate and to renew our minds. And we thank you in advance for the grace to do that in Jesus' name.